Back the same place, same time, next week. RTHK News. It's one o'clock. I'm Pierre Tremblay. The top stories, the chief of police says officers would be unfairly targeted by an independent inquiry into their actions. The first of three planned demonstrations passes without incident. And in the mainland, a new law means people have to scan their faces for mobile phone contracts. The commissioner of police, Chris Tang, says it would be an injustice if an inquiry is set up solely to look into the policing of the ongoing protests, saying the police watchdog can deal with complaints against officers. Altus Wong reports. Mr Tang reiterated that a commission of inquiry could be used as a tool to target the police and incite hatred towards officers, and this would be an injustice. He also dismissed the idea of investigating individual incidents, such as the delayed police response to the attacks in Yunlong MTR station on July the 21st, in which dozens of people were injured. About 200 people have marched to protest against police use of tear gas as Hong Kong readies for a day of demonstrations. The group carried yellow balloons as they headed from Edinburgh Square to the government headquarters. The demonstration was peaceful with no unrest reported. Two other marches are scheduled for later today. One will head to the U.S. consulate to thank the United States for approving legislation aimed at holding local and mainland officials accountable for any human rights abuses. Another's been called for Chimsa Choi near the Polytechnic University, the site of the near two-week police siege. An Indonesian domestic helper who has been active on protest sites faces being deported because of overstaying. Yulia Riswati has been detained for 28 days at Castle Peak Bay Immigration Center for not having a valid work visa. A group which is helping her says the immigration department has treated her case with a heavy hand. A spokeswoman for the group Fish Ip said she believed Miss Yuli has been singled out because of her political stance. This is really not the normal practice to arrest her from home and to detain her when she has a residence. But I really feel because she has been very active writing about the current protests in Hong Kong. And I think maybe one of the crucial news reports is the Ming Pao uh, news report because she showed her stance to support the Hong Kong protester. And it was after seven days the immigration went to her home. Political analyst and pro-democracy campaigner Joseph Tseng says the authorities in Beijing have lost a whole generation of young people here. Mr. Jeng says that from the first protest in June to the recent district council elections, authorities don't seem to understand people's demands and core values. Speaking on RTHK's letter to Hong Kong, he said people here want to protect their freedom, dignity and rule of law and don't intend to challenge the nation's sovereignty and security. They appeal for support from the international community and international public opinion reflects a deep sense of despair and a loss of confidence in the institutions that are supposed to maintain law and order as well as to protect the people. Public opinion polls indicate that slightly more than half of the community has zero confidence in the police force, and slightly more than 40% of Hong Kong people have zero confidence in the Carrie Lam administration and the central government. A new law has come into force on the mainland, making a facial recognition scan mandatory for people signing a new mobile phone contract. When the regulations were announced in September, hundreds of social media users voiced concern. The BBC's Robin Brandt reports from Shanghai. 
Facial recognition is proliferating across China at a very fast rate. It's already used to gain access to some residential compounds, to punish people crossing the roads illegally, and to pay for shopping at some checkouts. But that is all underpinned by its use as a tool of state surveillance. The government said the law will help protect the legitimate rights of citizens in cyberspace. Beijing has accused the United Nations human rights chief, Michel Bachelet, of inappropriate interference in its affairs and emboldening rioters after she called for investigations into alleged excessive use of force by police in Hong Kong. China's mission to the UN in Geneva said an op-ed written by Ms. Bachelet in the South China Morning Post was erroneous and violates the purposes and principles of the Charter of the United Nations. In the article, Ms. Bachelet urged the authorities here to conduct a proper and independent and impartial judge-led investigation into reports of excessive use of force by the police. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past one. It's been revealed that one of the two people stabbed to death in Friday's knife attack in London was helping lead a, car- a course for prisoners that his killer was attending. The victim, Jack Merritt, was a law and criminology graduate from Cambridge University who had an interest in rehabilitating prisoners. His killer, Usman Khan, was a convicted terrorist who had been released early from jail on license who was taking part in the course before he began his attack. The BBC's John Donison reports. Jack Merritt was a bright young man at the start of his career. He graduated from the University of Cambridge in 2017. Pictures on his Instagram account show him celebrating his 25th birthday in Spain with his girlfriend in October. Working as a course coordinator at the university's Department of Criminology, he had helped organise the Learning Together Conference for ex-offenders at the Fishmongers Hall near London Bridge, where yesterday's attack began. His killer, Usman Khan, is thought to have been one of those attending. Writing on Twitter, his father, David, wrote, R.I.P. Jack, you were a beautiful spirit who always took the side of the underdog. The Ministry of Justice in Britain has launched an urgent review of convicted terrorists released from prison following the attack. Usman Khan had been released halfway through a 16-year sentence. He was out on licence and wearing an electronic tag when he began his rampage. John Podmore, a former prison governor, says the system in place for radicalised offenders isn't fit for for purpose. Managing people back into the community doesn't come free. It's going to take some specialist resources, some specialist expertise, and I'm not sure whether that exists at the moment. You can't have a criminal justice system on the cheap, and we've tried to have a criminal justice system on the cheap for far too long now. A prominent Maltese businessman has been charged with complicity in the murder of the investigative journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia. Jorgen Fennec pleaded not guilty to this and other charges he faces. Here's the BBC's Danny Eberhardt. Jorgen Fennec, one of Malta's wealthiest men, was first detained for questioning a week and a half ago in a raid on his luxury yacht. He owns a Dubai company that was named in leaked documents that implicate senior Maltese politicians in a corruption scandal. The charges against him add to an escalating sense of crisis engulfing Malta's government. It's prompted speculation that the Prime Minister, Joseph Muscat, could be set to announce his resignation. Protesters, including members of Mrs Caruana Galizia's family, have been demanding that he step down immediately. They mistrust the independence of the official investigation into her death. Sport football, the draw has been made for next summer's Euro 2020 tournament. The BBC's Rob Schofield says one group stands out. Germany, France and Portugal, along with, in theory, the strongest team to come through the playoffs, Path A, 
Iceland or Hungary or Romania or Bulgaria. That is an incredibly strong group for a European Championships. Elsewhere, the first fixture will see Italy play Turkey. Italy and Turkey in a group with Switzerland and Wales. I think that one's up for grabs as well. Group B, Belgium, Russia, Denmark and Finland. You look at Belgium and, and, and Denmark with good chances to progress there. Ukraine, Netherlands, Austria and the playoff winner of the weakest path, path D in Group C. Group D, familiar teams who know each other well. England, Croatia, Czech Republic and the winner of the playoff path C. England played Croatia, of course, in the World Cup semi-finals, Nations League as well. They played Czech Republic in the recent qualifiers. And then Group E, Spain, Poland, Sweden, and the winner of playoff path B. The top two in each group go through, and then it's the best two-placed, third-placed teams. That, remember, is how Portugal got through in the Euros to win in 2016. In the English Premier League, Liverpool stretched their lead at the top to 11 points, care of a 2-1 victory over Brighton at Anfield. It all looked to be plain sailing for the Reds as Virgil van Dijk twice headed home from perfect crosses by Trent Alexander-Arnold, but the sending off of Liverpool keeper Allison for handling the ball outside his area changed the equation, especially after Lewis Dunk scored from the resulting free kick. Second place Manchester City drew two all at Newcastle. Leicester can go above them if they beat Everton tonight. Chelsea remained fourth despite a home defeat to West Ham. Cricket, Rory Burns capitalised on being dropped three times as he went on to post his second test century before being run out as England continued to advance in the second test against New Zealand. At tea on day three in Hamilton, England were 218 for three. Skipper Joe Root, enjoying a return to form, was on 84 with Ben Stokes on 10. To end the news, our top stories once again. The chief of police says officers would be unfairly targeted by an independent inquiry into their actions. The first of three planned demonstrations passes without incident. And on the mainland, a new law means people have to scan their faces for mobile phone contracts. The news from RTHK.